Welcome back to Geek Warning, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It's Wednesday, March 8th, and I'm back with my good friends and colleagues. Now I can finally say colleagues. That's very exciting. Ronan McLaughlin and Dave Rome. How are you guys? Ronan first. Hi, a colleague. Nice to be a colleague. It's much better. Versus volunteers. Mm. Yes. It was a long it was a long stint as a volunteer. Very long stint. <laughs> uh but we got there. So uh yeah, thank you to everyone that got us here. So we should say right at the outset here that we're actually recording this with kind of a live audience, a live audience uh on the internet. So we're not we're not sitting at a bike shop with with a hundred people in front of us or anything like that, but we do have what is it? A hundred something people from our Discord, our private member Discord. Uh, if you out there are not already a member of Escape Collective and you would like to join in these live podcasts and and perhaps have a chance to ask questions in real time and all these things that we're going to try to do today, well, then you got to sign up. So head over to escapecollective.cc and do that. And thank you very much in advance. Now, let's get into today's show. Ronan, I want to kick off with you. Uh, you added this to the run sheet, and I, I think I'm equally excited about this particular product. The new all-season think... GP5. Hmm? I don't think I did add this one to the run sheet, but... <laughs> I'm going to throw it to you anyway. Yeah. Ronan, tell me why you're excited about the new all-season GP5000. Yeah. By the um... process of elimination, I think it was me. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Ronan. <laughs> No, 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 Dave. You know, keep walk away. I, I really do not want to steal your thunder on this one. I, I have some thoughts on it, but I certainly do not have a um, a whole a whole discussion on it. No, why don't you? Well, why don't you introduce what it is at least? Uh, well, it's Continental's Continental. Continent, con- we could say Continental now. We can, can we say Conti? Conti's uh, yeah. Conti's new. Uh, well, it's effectively the new all GP all season tire that has been like a what a wonder bike tire for years, a favored wonder bike tire for years, or all all conditions tire for for years, and it's an updated updated version of that, sort of based on the new line of GP five thousand STR, uh, which was a follow on from the original GP five thousand, and this is set to offer more grip, better puncture protection. Better sidewall uh, or uh, tougher sidewalls, um, and is available in a range of sizes and with a hefty price tag. And that's, that's mm-hmm. pretty much as much as I know on this tire because yeah. I thought somebody yeah, else was going to so, talk about it. I mean, to dive a little deeper on that, it's uh, the normal GP5000 STR has uh, a three layer casing, this has four, and uh, I believe the tread depth is a a reasonable amount deeper so you get you know the puncture resistance that comes from that but also the increased durability uh in my mind this is probably the most highly anticipated tubeless road tire in years because the conti has never had like sort of a training friendly tubeless road tire uh and the uh the four seasons that this is effectively I guess replacing or at least is going to sit above it uh that was a hugely hugely popular tire that ronan said um but it was old i mean it was based on if i'm not mistaken it's it's like the gp 3000 tread built on a conti gator skin casing so that is that is not a new tire like that is something i remember training on when i was actually still fit which was a long time ago so uh that's it's, it's something i remember shunning a good 10 12 years ago Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I, I remember owning a set of 28s that I couldn't fit in my frame, in my brand new frame. So, I mean, it was that long ago. Um, but, yeah, it's it's cool to see Conti come out with this. But I guess the, the big thing that Ronan alluded to there is that uh, it's terrifyingly expensive for a training tire or for a, an all-rounder tire. And the retail on this tire is €96 Euro a piece. Just a lot. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Are, are you kind of miscategorizing it, though? Is it truly a training tire? I've never really thought of the all-season as a training tire, and in particular, if it's got all this this new construction, it's like a sort of a, a true, more puncture-resistant version of a GP5000, then isn't that just an everyday tire? Which I guess you could call a training tire, yeah. but I don't know. Training tire has a negative connotation to it versus like, 
I ride my bike all the time. I guess it's all training. This is a type of tire that I would probably go after. And from that perspective, a really nice riding tire that's also not going to flat on me on a regular basis is kind of exactly yeah. what I'm no, going you're for. Right. And you're right. for, I guess the price doesn't seem as crazy if you frame it that way versus like, like I'm not sure I'd pay 96 bucks for a gator skin, for example. Yeah, no, you're right. It is. It's like, it's more comparable. Say the closest comparison would be probably something like a Vittoria Corsa Control. Uh, which is like a, a, a more puncture resistance uh, performance tire versus a lighter weight, cheap training tire. Um, but yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly still a lot of money for a bicycle tire. Uh, and especially given that it's the, the chance of going on your first ride and having said tire cut on you with any brand, it just means that 96 euro is, is a tall ask. I'd, I'd first of all say that you you could well pay with like a, a broken arm or a broken leg or something if you bought a gator skin. Uh, they they may not be expensive <laughs> in terms of cash, but they they're quite slippery. I would say, at least in my experience. Um, but it, I I don't know. Like I I ride GP five thousand STRs quite a bit. I I really quite like those tires, and I ride on some truly atrocious roads. And now touch wood or whatever. I realize I'm going to curse myself now, but I cannot remember the last time i had a puncture and so the only reason i would consider the the new as is as a specifically as a training tire to save the str for race day or for you know big event day but it, it, it at this price tag i it just it, it it really doesn't make sense for me to consider it in that way yeah, so thankfully the, the power of the internet has already offered this tire at discounts, even though you can't actually buy it. So like Bike24, I saw they had it for about 70 euros. So I mean, that at that part, point, you're starting to get it a little bit more palatable, but it's still, yeah, I don't know. I would I'd be uh, very wary of seeing a glass patch ahead. Mm. The actual tire announcement that I was more excited by from Continental last week or this week is the new GP five thousand STT TR the the time trial? So it gone in the opposite direction, where the new yeah you would be four season is more robust. This is just faster, uh, and it was a tire that first came out in a limited edition run at the Tour de France last year in twenty five millimeter only, and now it's available in twenty eight, which I like. Is it? Uh, I mean, so in the past, TT versions of Conti tires have been essentially made of paper uh, oh yeah like, is it slightly more robust than that or are we in in paper territory i mean if you believe what my eyes seen philippe Bogana punctured three times in the warm-up before the prologue in the tour de france last year so <laughs> but like that's not really all that important what is important is when it holds air it is very fast so mm. i love your mindset ronan uh, i'm gonna move on from <laughs> from conti uh and we're going to I'm actually going to skip around on our little run sheet here a little bit and and move to something else that is tire slash tube related. Uh, this is just a small bit of very exciting news for everybody except for Ronan. Uh, Dave, tell me about the new Tubalitos. Uh, Tubalito, so the uh, thermoplastic, the, the, the TPU-based uh, inner tubes, um, very much known to be an orange tube where you can see the, the orange valve poking out of your rim and then that way everyone knows you've spent quite a bit of money on your inner tubes to save a few grams and uh, ideally improve puncture resistance. Uh, they're now doing a black valve, so no one will know that you spent that money, uh, which is quite cool. Mm. I think for me, certainly, I didn't... The times that I've run Tubalito actually as inner tubes rather than just carrying them as spares, uh, I haven't liked those orange valves. I, you know, I personally don't own any orange-colored bikes where that matches, so the idea of just being able to get them no extra cost just in the option of a black valve is is nice to me and that's uh yeah if if it were a product that you're looking to run full-time then that is is certainly a welcome change so yeah it's a, a small bit Ronan, of news but a welcome one it's a bit Ronan, late why are you sad about this well dave's late news is a bit late and <laughs> that having considered tubalitos for a couple of years and just never really been able to justify the expenditure i literally like three days ago bought one with an orange valve and now he tells me i could have one with a black valve it's like come on <laughs> Yeah, unfortunate timing all around. Mm, yeah. But uh, it's cool that they're finally doing black ones. I, I, 
the orange doesn't really match much of anything, does it? Uh, and so, no, it was a brand. Not too surprising. There's, there's yeah. like a new a new cycling media empire that had just launched recently, and the orange valves would match much of the color way that that new media mm. empire will will be a great website. Should we say that? <laughs> there you go. So I wonder if our kit will our will our kit be orange? I don't know. We haven't. We have to talk to Tom about that. We have we'll a find kit. out in I don't know a couple of weeks probably. Yeah, I assume we'll have a kit at some point, Dave. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Let's let's stay on tires and tubes. I want to stay on tires and tubes. So, Ronan, you've been doing a bit of snooping and a bit of reporting around what's going on with Quick Steps tire situation. Now, I I don't know what it is about Quick Step. I feel like we talk about specialized tires and Quick Step tires on a, on a regular basis. Uh, they're back again this year, and you have noticed something interesting. So, what is that? Uh, well, yes, I have noticed, but also I should say friend of the podcast, uh, Zach Edwards had also, uh, noticed this, uh, and it was him and I who were initially discussing this and basically it's not even just quick step here or Sudal quick step, whatever their name is this year, but basically every specialized team in the professional Peloton who obviously also run Roval wheels for some reason, it seems like from the start of this year, they have been racing on the Roval Rapid wheels with clincher setups, which is interesting given that Roval just released those new wheels last year with tubeless compatibility after a couple of years of sort of, is it tubeless, is it not tubeless, with the previous version of that wheel. Um, so yeah, like it, it basically, Zach and I had been talking about it because uh, Specialized had put on their Instagram a picture of SD Works doing a recon for Strada Bianchi, and it was very clear from that photo. Like, I mean, like it was like front and center that they had a clincher valve in there, as opposed to well, the, you know, it could obviously be a, a tubular if it's a new wheel and a new tire and all that, but it seems like it's a clincher because it's definitely not a tubeless because it hasn't got the 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 tubeless valve and the tubeless um, lock nut there, so. Um, I did a bit of digging, spoke to Specialized, and they basically said, look, we always support whatever the teams want to run, and the teams have had a lot of success in the past running our clincher setups in Strata Bianchi, so we're going to let them do that. But then I did a bit more digging, looking around a couple of uh, photo websites, and <clears throat> as I said, it seems like every Specialized team since the turn of the year has been racing with clincher setups, uh, which sort of seemed a bit strange to me uh, and then i think if i remember correctly the the only visual change to the wheels that were launched last year which are tubeless compatible was that the 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 roval decals are now in line with the tubeless valve whereas previously they were offset on the rim from where the the, the valve hole would be or where the where you would see the valve uh, coming through the rim so i might have that back to front but basically the point i'm trying to make is that and looking at these photos, it also appears like these teams are are running the the previous generation of these rapid wheels, which is just even stranger. Uh, and I think, given the history with this wheel, well, they're lighter, right? They were lighter, but I mean, if, if you're going to run the clinchers, they're, the rim's a bit lighter. Yeah, that's true, and that that's where I was going to go. Is that I think, given the history with this wheel set, our minds and you know almost instantaneously go to: is there some sort of problem, or what's the issue, or whatever? Is it a compatibility thing? Uh, and I don't believe it is because I have, you know, I've trawled for long enough that I have found at least a couple of photos of Quick Step Riders specifically still running the, the tubeless setup. Uh, as recently as this week, Tim DeClerc was was the seemingly one of the only riders in Paris-Nice on Roval Wheels who was still riding with a tubeless setup. So if there was any compatibility issues there, if there was anything on toward, they just wouldn't have anybody riding a tubeless setup. So it sort of seems like this might just be some sort of other performance issue or something. Specialized really needs to come up with an alternative to the valve nut so Ronin can stop <laughs> figuring out whether the team is uh, running the product they're saying they're running or not. Uh, well, I mean, like, Specialized did confirm that they are running yeah. Clincher, so they, they, there's no yeah. cover-up or anything there, but it's mm-hmm. certainly uh, interesting. Nonetheless, yeah. I, I don't think we're on for a similar saga like we had the last time. I think there's something. No, but what's what's more. the realistically what's the performance idea here? Because the rims are lighter with the previous generation <coughs> rim. I think it was from going off the top of my head, it was like around the thirty gram mark uh, per rim. But what's 
that's one performance benefit, but it's it's very marginal. Uh, what's your take on the tire? Like, it's probably a rolling resistance thing. What's going on there? Uh, I mean, it's like thirty grams, even if it's fifty grams per wheel set, and even if there's a bit of a variance in there from wheel set to wheel set, and say you could buy hooker by crook find a wheel set that's 60 grams lighter i don't really think that's going to make a difference really like but where my mind straight away goes in this is like you know yes okay it could be latex inner tube and it could be a fast setup but i i don't know i i'm just always a, a big believer in tubeless setups for road and that might go against what everybody else on this podcast thinks uh but i would take the rolling resistance uh, or the decreased rolling resistance gains over any sort of weight saving, especially one that's under you know triple figures in terms of of a saving in, in grams. So I I don't know my, my and and it should also be said that you know they have the Alpinist wheelset also, um, and Julian Alaphilippe is racing with the Alpinist wheelset with a clincher setup also. So again. That to me says it's not a problem with the rapids, and I know that's a lighter setup, so that could be proof of them making this change to save some weight. But I don't know. I almost see that like it's not a that's not a weight saving. If they're doing it with both wheel sets, it's not a weight saving thing. Um, so I, I sort of I'm leaning towards it, some sort of tire. Thing that they just they just preferred the older tires or something like i know katie was saying you've had a few punctures with the the new tubeless tires so um uh, yeah I, i've had i had built the previous generation and the newest generation i've had of not great luck on the puncture front uh now they're tubeless and so they would seal but if you're in the middle of a race and and you suddenly go from you know whatever you're running 75 psi to to 50 uh before the thing can seal itself up that's that's less than ideal so maybe that's it that's just pure speculation based off of the fact that I've flatted a couple of them, but yeah, who knows? It, to me, it feels more like a probably a data driven decision. Some rolling resistance number somewhere that has been shown to them. Uh, I mean, kudos to that team in particular. That that was a team that for a long time, you know, we kind of poked fun at for not always following the data, and it it seems like they really are now. And I, I think that that's actually probably. A, a lot of that comes down to specialized and their ability to sort of convince mechanics and riders of the numbers that they have internally. That That's what I was going to say is that if this was one team, then you could say there's something they've found there. But I think it, weirdly, I'm always going to say like, this is actually kudos to the specialized team. If it turns out it is a performance thing, I should say, because they have just, got all their teams to go to tubeless and then go back to clincher and then go back to tubeless and now seemingly return <laughs> to clincher again. And if that is, you know, if they have found that, you know, for whatever reason, these clincher tires are faster and they have continually reconvinced the teams of this, that, that, that's something that not many brands could do. Given, Kudos, g- I guess. G- uh, g- given how <laughs> notoriously stuck in their ways that some pro teams can be. Yeah. I think I was going to yeah. start that point by well, saying, uh, I, I'm just, I, I believe this is coming from Specialized, not from the teams, because every rider on every team is doing this. So I, I, that that's the point I was trying to make, I think. <laughs> that's certainly what it would suggest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we've written into Ronan's contract that he has to actually inspect the... <laughs> Uh, the nuts on every single valve at the end of every single major race throughout the entire season. So we'll keep you up to date on on this. And, and thankfully, I uh, managed to to get you to cut out the but where it said I have to check if they've got uh, internal liners or not. <laughs> That's for next year. Uh, we got to leave something for next year. All right, I, I, I wanted <laughs> I want to be I want to move on here. Uh, I want to switch switch over to something. In a completely different area, Dave, you added this to the run sheet. Why cycles becomes Revel bikes? This is just a little bit of news. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, uh, two Colorado companies, Y Cycles and Revel Bikes, actually under the the same ownership. They've just been separate brands. So Y Cycles pre existed Revel Bikes. They're sort of uh, best known as titanium all road gravel road bikes, uh, and then Revel Bikes are sort of known as um, quite cool car- uh, carbon mountain bikes. Uh, which launched in 2019. So yeah, basically 
they've decided that from here on uh y cycles is is being uh brought into the revel bike brand so those titanium frames will continue to be available but now uh under the revel bikes company so revel has expanded its portfolio of bikes and y cycles will uh in their words be sunsetted as a brand so yeah just for for anyone keen on those titanium bikes they they still exist just under a new name good to know yeah good to know thanks for that update dave i want to move on to one of our favorite segments every week on your mind and over the head of your family i'm gonna kick over to ronan first ronan what has been on your mind and over the head of your family this week i mean pretty much everything on my mind is over the head of my family uh, because it's usually <laughs> bike stuff. Um, so I'll give you a choice. I can either tell you about how I had a three-way Google Meet with myself, or uh, I can tell you about the endoscope that I had that were both about optimizing my time trial position. So <laughs> your choice uh, now. Second one. Second one. Oh, that right. sounds great. So, and you actually might like this because I was, you know, the of. Obviously, the difficulty with time drop positions is seeing where you're going. So I kind of wondered if I got an endoscope from Amazon and stuck the camera off the front of the tri bars and put the the display between my hands. Could I then like look down and see where I was going in a more aerodynamic position? Um, <laughs> you can on the turbo trainer. I haven't tried it out outdoors yet, but definitely much. How much... did Ronan die? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I, it works much better than the than the belay glasses that I tried before. Those you just cannot make out. Like you, you turn right and you steer left. The you know the climbing so, glasses. So you need to explain this because yeah, yeah. So you've you've told Dave Roman about this before, and so I know what you're talking about. You need to explain to the audience out there what insanity you are <laughs> on about right now. Uh, yeah. So uh, like a I would say a, a bit of a hack or a, a bodge maybe that I had for a similar attempt to try to see where I was going better on a time trial bike. I thought the the glasses that climbers use so that they can like see above them without all day looking upwards and getting the creak in their neck. I think they're called belay glasses, if I remember correctly. The belay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, the person at the bottom with the ropes, keeping the person that's actually climbing alive, basically. Mm. Otherwise, you have to look up the whole time. Yeah, but I'm, yeah. Af- I'm afraid of heights, so I've never done that thing. Um, but uh, basically, I wondered if those could be used to, instead of help me look up, just help me look forward when my head was looking down. Um, that that was scary. That was very. Did someone make a periscope <laughs> glasses for a while with the goal of time trials? Probably, yeah. possibly, yeah. Uh, Renner, my issue with your endoscope idea, or endoscope idea is uh, normally those things, the technology there, are designed for tight confined spaces to shine to <laughs> to display something in a very uh difficult to see in dark place um mm-hmm. the outside the field of view is a little bit different to that uh so how did that end up for you um as i said i haven't tried it outside yet so let's see but it, uh-huh. it's definitely been fun like looking inside frames and looking inside disc wheels and looking inside loads of stuff so yeah, yeah. I, I, like if I'm honest, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate the effort, though. Someone's got to try, someone, and that someone minds will be Ronan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what about what about a GoPro and then VR goggles? Um, I have also cycled with VR goggles. I should say. Um, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um. I for, and for good reason. I, there's a there's a a cycle route that I want to do uh and i couldn't figure out if the roads at the start of it which are at the other end of ireland are like too hilly and too narrow and too difficult to ride on a time trial bike so i set up like a google maps route and cycled through it with vr um using the vr zoom app which is basically like a fitness training app for the um what what do you call the the vr goggles uh yeah you you know the ones the the facebook ones (laughs) The, the meta VR goggles. Uh, using those, you can use that app, do some indoor training, um, and use like Google Street View to piece pictures hmm. of Street View together to make a route. It's actually, yeah, I actually kind of enjoyed it. Got me doing a couple of, like a, for a recovery spin or something, you can just go like literally anywhere on the planet and ride your bike uh, in VR. So, is it 
is it like using Google Street View normally where every few hundred meters you have to stop and click the arrow? I would say, Dave, if you're the kind of person like yourself, um, it might not be for you. Uh, I mean, like you have okay. you, you you have to kind of accept that this is not going to be perfect, um, okay. but that it but it's that it's different and it's a nice experience every once in a while. Uh, so from that point of view, it, yes, it was very much like Street View. It, it doesn't stop, but it's like, yeah, it, it's it's not exactly HD. Let's say, uh, nor is it like any kind of reality. Never mind virtual reality, but. It's like for for the purpose that I wanted it for to see the road, because it it will interact with smart trainers and that, and it, it provides resistance the same as like the gradient on the road. It's got all that detail. Oh in wow! It. Okay. Um. So it, it it you can actually get a feel for the route that you want to try without having to go to the other end of Ireland to actually try it. We we really need Zach on this episode because <laughs> I think he would hate this even more than I do. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and I need to back up. So I'm going to move us on <laughs> from that. Dave, what's on your mind? Uh, Ronan gave a choice. I, I also have two things on my mind, which is, uh, why I'm worried about 12 speed mechanical shifting coming to potentially mm. more mainstream, uh, or, um, my woes of STEM alignment tools. Which uh, one? Uh, I want the first one. first one. I feel like I've heard about the second one. I want the first one. Oh, uh, but the second one the I've got one way more to talk about now. There's there's like five different tools. But okay, I guess we'll we'll save that one. Um, there's rumors of 105 mechanical, uh, 105 12 speed mechanical coming to the market. There's also rumors of GRX 12 speed mechanical coming to the market. And yesterday I was working on a bike with Campagnolo record 12 speed mechanical shifting and reminded of the fact that as you tighten up the spacing of that cassette, your derailleur adjustments become insanely more sensitive. Uh, And I was very much struggling to get this record group set to behave like a record group set should uh, and it basically comes down to the fact that you need perfect cable runs to make it work as well as it should and not feel like a 15-year-old clapped-out Shimano Tiego group set. Uh, and <laughs> that's my issue, is that I believe the bike industry is about to lead us all down a road of bikes with... Um, lousy cable routing optimization because most bikes are now being designed with electronics in mind uh and they're then going to give us this very sensitive mechanical group set that requires perfect cable runs and perfect maintenance to ensure that it works well and then sell it to a mass market of people that are not going to maintain their bikes correctly and everyone's just going to be worse off for it so my point is is that i would much rather uh see a stick 12 speed and keep 12 speed generally speaking as a performance group set that is run by robots and batteries and for lower cost bikes we stick to fewer gears which are easier to adjust and are less sensitive to gremlins i feel like 11 is enough and you can feed them after midnight <laughs> 11 is enough 11's plenty can, can we just Call it. Let's call it there. Eleven is enough for mechanical. I think so. Sweet spot. Un- unfortunately, I, I would actually say that the yeah. mechanical sweet spot was like nine. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Ten. Well, ten they screwed up, and then eleven they fixed it. But yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I am concerned about this, and given that pretty much every road bike is moving to some form of in internal cable routing, uh, this you know, there's only going to be more drag in that system. I'm scared. I'm worried that great shifting is is going to require great mechanics and consistent maintenance, uh, and that's just not how a 105 level bike should be. I I actually have that record 12 speed group set also, and I've had it on two different frames. I've had it on the Willier Cento Diace Pro, which has full internal cable routing from the shifter to the derailleur, uh, and that was a disaster. Like I mean, the, the just just never worked uh, and whether it was through myself kinking the cable trying to get it through the 
the sort of cable routing or whatever for whatever reason uh it was just from day one never really worked but the exact same group set on my tarmac sl6 um uh, is is just a dream and that's only you know partially internal cable routed so you've got externally routed uh externally on the handlebars doesn't go into the stem and it goes in through the down tube and it it works an absolute dream but the fear of kinking a cable uh, i had to put the bike in a car a couple of weeks ago and uh, I, something went through my mind at that moment i just heard you Kelly, and james all saying mechanical 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 and i was like oh my god I'm going to kink this cable and it's like £3,000 for a new Campag Extreme, whatever the, the name is for those mechanical cables. And that's on um, discount, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I can't even remember what, what the exact name for those cables are now, but they, they you, yeah. you, it just will not work without the specific cable. Um, and it's, you know, it. I've used that bike quite a lot over the last month or two uh, and it's it it's been fine. But when it does need a, a tune, it's like tune it half as much as you think it needs and then do a little bit less. It's it's yeah. that kind of fine, fine, fine tuning. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, but, but it is a dream when it's working. I'm taking us down a bit of a tangent here. But uh, recently, I'd say in the last five years, Campagnolo has done a pretty good job of making fairly good mechanics feel like bad mechanics. <laughs> this is probably a very controversial <laughs> thing to say, but consistently like i'm very comfortable with anything shimano i'm very comfortable with anything shram i can always get that working the way it should work no drop chains perfect shifts campagnolo for whatever reason uh eps has its own issues it's it's a it's it's a weird group set i don't think there's enough adjustment in eps so sometimes you get uh crank set configurations where you can't get it to fully stop rubbing the way you want it to but then the mechanical stuff, uh, specifically 12-speed, occasionally Eka uh, or Eka, um, it just feels like it's just another level of uh, sensitivity. And uh, it makes me judge my abilities. And it also makes me occasionally uh, wish that I didn't claim to be a mechanic. On the flip side, I will say that it makes you know decidedly average mechanics like myself feel like superheroes when you know how to fix eps uh, that that that's just like it was Fair. like Fair. whenever the 11 speed altigra first came out and you know the the front derailleur was almost without trying to sound like without trying to make myself sound foolish but the front derailleur was very differently set up than all front derailleurs that came before it just knowing how to get that to work that was like godlike status locally just been able to fix that thing so <laughs> campag is about the same for me the problem is nobody uses campag except myself so <laughs> yes i can't get to display my the one skill that i have yeah no one no one knows how how amazing you are because no one else has bothered to buy into that group set so that's the oh <laughs> uh, well but yeah the campy does a lot of great stuff so don't get me wrong i i still have a lot of love for that brand but just from a mechanics point of view, it is the most sensitive of the three group sets to set up, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's there's nuances to it, but then there's also just like what Ronan said, that it basically, that 12-speed stuff requires such a low-friction cable set because it's so sensitive. Uh, and that cable set is really not cheap. So yeah, anyway, that's my little rant. Uh, Kaylee, what's on your mind? I'm going to skip myself because oh. we are low on time. Okay. Uh, and I feel like we had two really good ones there. And I want to make sure we get our, our PSA this week before we open up the floor to, to questions. So what's our PSA this week, Dave? Uh, I believe it's to measure the, the spacing of your cranks. So Ronan's backing away right now because he's... Uh, <laughs> Oh no! Yeah, was this a Ronan one? I just no, assumed it was no. You. It's, no, no, it's no. actually it's actually me. Ronan doesn't want to be involved in this because he's he's had his own internet <laughs> battles with this topic. But uh, but yeah, me for uh, specifically speaking, mountain bikes. So uh, non Shimano cranks tend to use a variety of spaces to let you set up your your chain line correctly to the bike, and then to also just get your uh, the the bearing spacing right. So then you can add your bearing preload. 
Uh, and those spaces, I guess you need to be careful. And this is not something that I, I see people do well a lot is that if you put those spaces in the, the wrong orientation, like you put some on the left versus some on the right, what you end up doing is you end up spacing the crank uh, asymmetrically to the frame. And then you're going to be riding off center. Uh, and I think, yeah, the, the thing there is that the only way to know whether you've done this or not is to actually measure it. And I don't think a lot of people have been doing this. So what I found to be really useful is to... to... I, think, I think no people have been doing this, Dave. Zero no. people have been doing no. this. And I, I know this because like SRAM, for example, they don't make 0.5 millimeter shims for dub. They they do them in one millimeter increments and, and my cranks were off center by half a millimeter. So then I have you know, gone to using aftermarket shims to to solve for this. And so I know for a fact that there are people out there with off-centered cranks. Uh, so yeah, my my way of measuring this is to go off the seat tube. You uh, assuming your seat tube is is roughly symmetrical. Uh, the seat tube connects to your seat post, so you'd hope that that is the center of your bike. Uh, but yeah, I remove the pedals from the cranks, and then I run a digital caliper. Uh, so the the long part of the digital caliper, I probably actually have that because you know who doesn't have that on the desk. Um, so yeah, so for people watching in, you've got the bit that comes out the end, which is normally used as the depth gauge. You stick that through the center of the, of the, uh, yeah, you stick that through the center of the pedal thread. Um, and then that gives you, I'm watching you, like I'm ever going to do this. That gives you your depth gauge to ever. the seat tube and then you do it on the other side and that will tell you whether you're, uh, how you're doing for, um, the balance of your q factor ronan uh, i was going to say i've just recently <laughs> run into this issue again and that i was using a chain ring that was much a one by chain ring that was much too large for the frame that i was installing the crank set on uh, and so i had to shim the drive side crank out uh away from the frame just to ensure that it wouldn't rub just like sort of building to see if this setup would work and in the yeah. end up I couldn't have written it because it was like, although it didn't, the the larger chain ring didn't rub on the chain stays or anything. It just meant that my my crank was off center by like one and a half centimeters or something ridiculous. Like, yeah, it was a lot. So, and um, then you didn't want to offset that with a wider left pedal because then your Q factor really, no. would be too wide. Yeah, okay. It's, I mean, the, it the feels too much like a man, but I was like, do that. I, I, I want to do that, but yeah have to draw the line somewhere <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so anyway i think that's uh my understanding with uh sharam equipped bikes and other non-shimano bikes is that this is probably more common than we realize so i think it's a psa for mechanics out there setting up new cranks i think it's a psa for people doing their own work that yeah take your pedals off grab a digital caliper or veneer caliper uh and see whether they're symmetrical we're really living up to the name of the podcast today. I'm, Thank you. I'm, I'm very much appreciating it. Uh, nice work, Dave, Ronan. There's your PSA. Measure your cranks. <laughs> Make sure they're not, they're not off to the side. <laughs> I love it. Um, all right. So here's what we're going to do here. We're going to try to do a bit of a Q&A. Do we have questions out there? We have requests. Here we go. Request to speak. Let's see if I can do this. Joe B. Am I live? Joe. Awesome. You're live. Tell, uh, ask your Long question. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> first ever caller. Exciting times. Great. So glad you guys are doing this. Dave, follow-up question <coughs> on your calipers for measuring your crank oh, yeah. arms. Why, why not just measure, measure the spread from the, inside, from the seat tube to the inside of the crank? Why take the pedal off? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh... You can definitely do that. I just found the gap in order to align the caliper uh, and get it into that gap. It just gets a little bit tricky. And then you start to wonder whether you're going off the same point of the seat tube. So the seat tube's generally curved. Uh, so what I found is when doing that, I wasn't entirely confident that I was hitting the same point of the curvature of the seat tube every time. So by going off the center, I could kind of draw a I actually did. I drew a dot in the center of the tube and then I could hit that dot each time. Um, so yeah, that's, 
that's the reason. And uh, now I feel like more of a geek than I ever did. That was the point. <laughs> Thank you. Good Thanks, question, Joe. Joe. <laughs> Uh, I have no idea how to boot you out of this. So I think if you could hit leave the stage, there we go. There we go. Hey. <laughs> uh, we have another one from LAC. Who, who, who's speaking? Uh, hi, it's Jacob from, from London. Um, I just, I was just thinking about your, your comments about internal cabling and mechanical group sets. And given that era seems kind of dead a bit because all the bikes look the same. Do you think that we'll see a kind of new generation of ethos like super lightweight bikes that are kind of designed around external cables and mechanical group sets for that kind of high-end connoisseur uh budget hold uh i certainly hope so i mean right now the the trend is towards more hidden cables rather than fewer but uh yeah i certainly hope so and i think specialized has been so successful with that ethos that uh i don't doubt others will will follow and wanting to get in on that so uh, I think there does seem to be a, enough consumer demand for this. Ronan? I'm with you, Dave. I hope we see more bikes like that also, but I'm skeptical that we will simply because, as you said, Specialized have been so successful with it. And how do you do it without recreating the ethos? And from a Specialized point of view, it's now been around for three years. It, how, how do they update that frame? You know, it's it's the... It can't really make it any lighter, I, I suspect. Uh, and if another brand comes out with one that isn't quite as light, it's always going to be, well, it's not as light as Athos. So, yeah, I've, I don't know I've suggested this before, but uh, I would genuinely like to see Trek sort of redo, bring back Klein as a brand maybe, and do like a really high-end yeah. alloy bike with with the paint. With old, yeah, Imron paint. And, and uh, I think that could actually be a very popular seller. Uh, or even like Cannondale doing like rebirthing like the CAD nine kind of thing, uh, or a, yeah, an American made uh, Cannondale. I think something like that could actually. There's a gap in the market for something a bike like that, and uh, I'd be most excited to see them go that way rather than just try beat the ethos at being an ethos. My my, my sort of final thoughts on that are: I wonder if most of that market is is still taken up with with custom. Right, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people, if you're if you're interested in that sort of thing, you 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 know the connoisseur type, right? You may also then be interested in seeking out something that is not off the shelf. Uh, I think that that yeah, a lot of a lot of custom builders have obviously realized this and, and have done a really good job kind of filling that kind of space anyway. So I would I could see other other big brands try, uh, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure you'd see the success like the Athos again, unless somebody found something really clever. Let's, uh, that was a great question. Um, Ryan, Hello. Ryan and I, you may hear the same train in the background. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what's, what's your question? I have a lot of questions. Um, but I think I'm most curious about this, uh, specialized Epic, um, that has sort of leaked, Pictures that have leaked out there into the world. Mm. What do you guys think is uh, going on there? The, the trekalized? Yeah. Dave, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, we should we should maybe a bit of context first. So, <laughs> so there's a there's a new there's a new yeah cross country mountain bike yeah clearly coming from Specialized. We've seen it under pro athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks a lot like the Trek super, with the sort super of cow. <clears throat> yeah yeah the super cow with with the the rear shock kind of in line with the top tube mm-hmm. basically yeah uh, kind of hidden inside the top tube almost yeah and like it looks almost identical which is hence the, the trekalized joke uh kind of a gap in the market for specialized itself and sort of this like almost a soft tail because the the trek is what 60 mil rear travel yeah this um, this one i think will be more travel because it does have uh from the photos i've seen it it appears to have like a, a proper um lower pivot so the whole rear arm would be uh, separated and, and able to pivot. So in theory, I'd imagine it would beat the track in terms of suspension sensitivity and also travel is is my speculation. Uh, I'm I'm excited about this. I think the previous generation Specialized Epic was insanely light and this has potential to be even lighter uh, and also just less complexity in it. So I, I think this is an exciting space to watch and I think that bike has potential to be incredible. 
Uh, and I also think it's really cool that these brands like Specialized are starting to understand that you can have multiple suspension designs in your bike lineup. So traditionally, they might have tried to shoehorn the, their old FSR pivot across everything from XC Racing through to Downhill. Uh, whereas now you're seeing this this great division. They're using different linkages for their downhill bikes and different linkages in like their mid-range travel bikes. And then they're coming up with this sort of thing, which is very much only going to work in a, a short travel application. So I'm keen for it. Kaylee? I'm super excited about this bike. I mean, the, the, the Epic's been my favorite XC bike for a very long time, and this looks like a good update and uh, very excited about it. I, I, I wonder if the brain, if we're going to get some new brain action yeah. uh but we'll see yeah i haven't looked at those photos super close i didn't see anything obvious or like down you know the the brass inertia down at the wheel or anything like that it seems like yeah i didn't see an inertia that. valve so, tube down there no yeah um but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have something that acts like a brain uh brain being like a basically an automatic suspension system so it, it's bump sensitivity so the valves only open up when a, a force from beneath from the wheel uh is felt and then the the valves and the suspension open up to let the suspension be active um really clever system specialized own the patents on it which is why no one else really does it uh but yeah it's be interesting to see if they keep with that or not because it does have uh downsides mainly small bump sensitivity ronan is getting a small taste of how i feel when he talks time trial bikes uh well we're gonna we got a couple more here so uh we have two more questions already in the list if there's anybody else who has a question drop it in right now so i kind of know how many are left and we'll do a few more and then we gotta then we gotta wrap up because we're gonna run out of time dr tall rider how are you all right can you hear me yes yeah can. yeah we got you did you have any hold music while you waited i did not <laughs> no, we'll have to work on that <laughs> music <laughs> what's the question well i had thought about the about dave's point on mechanical shifting being more of a downside when you get into higher speeds and first i generally like agree that you know there, the more gears you add there's diminishing marginal returns particularly when you're in a two by setup right like i understand ekar wanted to go 13 for the same reason like a roll-off hub would have 14 because it's one by yeah. but I think you actually can. So, and I'm someone who uses like eight and nine speed on all my stuff, right? Like I totally buy that, that. but I think you actually can make a uh, mechanical shifting work well with more speeds. You just need to redesign the cable pull increments, right? Like, mm-hmm. so Shimano's Q system, they have much. So, you know, Shimano's original six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and I think 11 speed for road they had the same cable pull all the way through. And right, and you started getting bigger and bigger cassettes in the rear, more speeds, and it just stopped working well or became way more finicky. But yeah, I, different, different cable pull, but yeah, I understand the point. Per yeah. increment, right? You just need to have, you know, for a shift lever, you just need to have a larger diameter or for a ratchet, you just need to, the gears to be larger and maybe fit a, like a fatter lever body to do it. But I think you can do it. It just really means redesigning the cable pull. Yeah, I think so. I think for me, the concern is, is like I've got, I own a mountain bike with XTR 12 speed mechanical shifting, which is beautiful. And when that is set up correctly, it works so well. But when, as soon as that group set gets neglected or even in the cheaper iterations of that group set, so like a Dior or SLX level, it doesn't take a very big stick for that shifting to go very bad and to the point where you probably can't adjust it correctly again without replacing that derailleur um and that's my i guess that's my concern is i think out of the box these this 105 will work really well like when it's new uh, i guess my worry is just that typically the vast majority of people that own bikes with 105 tend to not do the maintenance intervals that they should and i think after a set number of kilometers and a set number of, you know, a set amount of neglect. I think uh, those group sets will work far worse than an equivalent bike with uh, say like wider gear spacing. That, that makes sense. Uh, and and yeah. it's the, I was thinking the cable pull was like the only variable, but mm. you can have as much cable pull per shift increment as you want. Yeah. But if you bend the rear derailleur hanger slightly, that's going to affect a 12 speed, maybe nine speed. Yeah, exactly. And just like, you know, the, the distance from the chain to the next cog as, as well, like that's, you know, that's all more sensitive as well. Uh, so yeah, there's just, 
Cablepool is certainly one area where they can improve on that, but unfortunately, there's there's other issues. And yeah, that like the hanger straightness is a perfect example of just how sensitive that needs to be. Uh, like there's there's quite a few bike shops out there that don't actually own derailleur hanger tools that are sensitive enough to correctly adjust for twelve speed hangers. Uh, and that's that's just the matter of fact. It's you know like an, if you get a ten year old park tool derailleur hanger, there's too much play in it to uh, to get it close enough. Uh, for perfect shifting with these new group sets, and yeah, I, that's my worry. Is just I think we're we're leading a, a mass market into this sort of uh, very delicate component. Maybe Jan Heine is waiting with his derailleur. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no idea, but <laughs> thank you. Good yeah. stuff. Uh, well, that's all the questions. So. Thanks everybody. That was that was super fun for a for, for a first attempt at this. I think we mostly figured out the technology, uh, and I hope that we actually recorded everything that we thought we recorded, so we can put an episode out to the rest of the world. Uh, but yeah, thanks to thanks to our live studio audience today. That that was pretty amazing, uh, and thanks to everybody who signed up already for Escape Collective. If you haven't already escapecollective.cc it supports what we're doing here it supports everything we want to do in the future and even though we have hit our sort of initial launch target that is that is the that's the start line not the finish line that that got us to a point where you know like i said we can pay people and make sure this thing does happen but we have a we have we have big ambitions and we have lots of things we want to do and uh we need more members to to do that so it's a very very simple equation i still don't have a tool budget so we need that. <laughs> Dave has no tool budget. Yeah. We need to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. We should. Uh, yeah. I think that triggers at 50,000 members, Dave. I think that's where we are. Oh, so you get a little a ways long. to go. That's a wait. That's a wait in the half. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, everybody in our live audience, again, thank you. Everybody out there, thanks for listening. Uh, please give us a share, give us a like, give us a review on iTunes, etc. And we will be back next week with another episode of Geek Warning. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everyone. 